Recording from Boulder, Colorado on December 10th, 2016, it's Dr. Zen and the Greatest of All Sinners. It's a podcast where two men of great faith and even greater doubt discuss pop culture, sports, science, and history. It's the events of the day as seen through the lens of eternity. It's the seven deadly sins meets the eightfold path. I'm your host, Ray Gustinelli, and I am here with our two esteemed guests, as I am every week. My brother, Paul Gustinelli, who we call Dr. Zen. Hey, guys. And the greatest of all sinners, Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon. Augustine Nelly Brothers, it's such a pleasure to be with you guys here today. We are in the slightly more northwesterly studio today, not our normal dingy basement environs. Not that anybody on the other side of the podcast can tell that, but we're here looking out on snow on the uh, backyard of the our North uh, Boulder home. Paul's North Boulder home. And it was kind of a glorious backdrop for me today, coming was up it? to the visit the Augustine Nelly Brothers, which always makes my heart... So happy. I wish you guys had a half of an idea of how happy my heart is every time mm. I'm coming your way. And in Boulder's beautiful, and the flat irons just get bigger and bigger as you're coming up to them. And there's yes. a sprinkling of snow, and, and there's maybe nothing that makes my eyes happier than mountains and coniferous forest and the Augustinelli brothers. And so, what a spectacular morning. Any nostalgia for you, Josh? Uh, Josh. <laughs> my best friend. <laughs> yeah, that's good stuff to recover from um, after that love. Fest I just gave you guys, and then in bed you roll over and say that was it was world changing for me, you, Emily. You, you, no. Moving on, that's my ex wife to Boulder, where you were, where you yes. went to school, and, and flashbacks to your college days. Very much so. Yeah. You know, I, I I love Boulder, and it's such a special town, and uh, and I'm hoping that uh, there might be an extra little boost of zenness. Uh, from being in Dr. Zen's house here today. But certainly nostalgic. It was just lovely. I'm happy today. Um, I'm sure this podcast, I don't know how, and uh, listeners say this all the time, I don't know how there, our podcast can possibly be better, no. but it might be, it might be better today. We shall see. It'll yeah, be a good test case. Yeah, so we're not in the dark basement. We are, in fact, in a light streaming mm. in through the sun window on top. And so, I mean, it could, it could be the reverse, right? And we, <laughs> comedy sometimes is uh, born uh, more fruitfully in Comedy's these, a fungus. Uh, deep, dark <laughs> yes. kind of setting. So uh, we shall see. We'll, we'll let the listenership decide. Okay. Yeah, so maybe we will get a little bit more zenness uh, as we're here. I mean, are you, are you speaking, in a contemplative mood? Well, yes. speaking of some zenness, yeah. so I just came back from retreat with the whole fam damnly. Yeah. The the Whedon family truckster was, mm-hmm. uh, we flew there. Um, and uh, <laughs> Tina Bobina, Modestina Reina Whedon, um, is, uh, um, she did not come. But uh, Christian, Tommy, and I went. Cool. And uh, I was able to, uh, it's a group called Pathways, Fun little spiritual retreat, good stuff. I was able to fig, uh, fix some of the last remaining difficulties I had. Oh, so, wow. um, perfect. Esteemed and perfect. I will ask you because I know so much about Buddhism, but you know a little more than me, a thimble more than me. And um, and uh, and I think I reached enlightenment, which was nice. Whoa, holy cow. <laughs> so, but, you know, my thoughts were is that I've been, I've been wanting to be at one of your retreats forever, Dr. Zen. We've mm-hmm. talked about it for years and years. We and have. I've not made it happen, which is a little weird. We'll, we'll maybe talk about that off the air. But um, what does someone who's an hopefully an open-minded seeker, a rookie, how do you get involved in your world? I, I, I know you do retreats. What's going on? I do retreats. I'm I'm about to leave on one in a few hours to go for to go for a week. Um, if you can sit down silently by yourself for mm. a period of time, yeah. you can do a Zen retreat. No. The thing is, that's easier said than done. Yeah. Yeah. There was a recent study with, they put people in a room by themselves and they said, sit there quietly and just be with yourself, be with your thoughts, be with your body. 
And in case you get bored, we're going to give you an electric spark meter that you hook up to your hand. Electroshock device. Electroshock device <laughs> that gives you a painful electric shock. And, and it... And it uh, an uncomfortable percentage of people, I'm talking like 75 or 80%, um, could not sit just quietly by themselves and be with themselves. They needed to be stimulated even when that stimulation was a painful shock to their system. And that's kind of the problem that we have with the world is that we need the stimulation uh, even though we really yearn for peace. So yeah, you can do you can do a, a, a Zen retreat um, if you can practice just being with yourself and being quiet. Well, that's kind of an interesting teaser because next by the next by the time we get together, whether it's next week or maybe a couple of weeks, you will have a new organization that's your own, possibly. I will. Yes. And uh, so maybe we can get more details about that because I'd like to make that happen. And I'm certain the legion of uh, Doctor Zen, the greatest ball center uh, listeners, uh, will be flocking to your Zen. What do you call it? Zen group. Wow. <laughs> well, yeah, it's a special term of art. I thought it'd be yeah, more zen term. Very yeah. esoteric. It'd <laughs> yeah. be more booty. Uh, Grace of all sinners, what do you think? Would you be able to sit silently in contemplation for 25 minutes at a stretch, something like that? I, uh, I, I sense the sarcasm in your voice. <laughs> yeah, I was trying to stack the deck. Oh, that's yeah. okay. I resemble that remark. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, um, I, I'm very much drawn to that world. And mm-hmm. I, I think that what you say that we're all yearning for peace is you're right. And, um, and I have an app uh, that's calm.com where I try to be uh, contemplative and, and, and meditate at mm-hmm. least once a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I find it very rewarding. But it would be more rewarding if it was done by Dr. Zen. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well, I have another alternative for you. It's, in fact, our first topic of the week. So why don't we get into this? It's, it's the topic of smart drugs, which I've been curious mm. about recently. Okay. I'm very curious to get your guys' thought about it. And maybe there is, in fact, a shortcut for you and others towards some sort of enlightenment yes. or, in fact, <laughs> enhancement. So, yes. You know, we live in an age of enhancements and upgrades. And according to some, a steady diet of these supplements called uh, nootropics um, can help you maximize your brain's potential and presumably put you on the path toward a sort of Nietzschean ubermensch, right? Ooh. Is to sort of unlock that yeah. brain's potential. What are your guys' thoughts on this? Do you, do you think they work? Have you tried them? Would you recommend them to your kids? Dr. Zen, what do you say? Well, it's very much a truism in the Buddhist world, and I know this from experience, that there's no shortcuts, as you put it, towards enlightenment or towards awakening. You really have to become very intimate with yourself at a daily moment-to-moment basis, and you can't have any of these turbochargers. That said, I think there's a lot of potential in these drugs um, doing what you say, which is helping us to maximize certain potentials. I don't take them. I don't even know their names. I would try them. Uh, I'm curious about that type of potential. And in general, I'm very much a fan of the potential of of psychoactives, natural or synthetic, to open doorways to our awareness and getting us in touch of dimensions of our body-mind that we aren't typically in touch with in normal kind of functioning of our body-mind. And I just read this article, and they had a video associated with it in the New York Times this past week. Um, It was really touching interviews with Patients who were in a study, they were cancer patients in recovery who had been given psilocybin to help them deal with some of the trauma and the pain around the illness. And, and these people had had transformative experiences with the psilocybin. Psilocybin is, is a naturally occurring psychoactive that is present in mushrooms and in toad sweat. You might have heard of shamanic ceremonies that use it. And, and these people just saw a whole new dimension to their life. They became unafraid of death. They became much more in touch with their heart and their loved ones. And that was one 
wonderful. And maybe some of these drugs can do the same thing. So, uh, you know, cautiously optimistic about mm-hmm. how they can be used. I'm also mindful as a cautionary tale about Brave New World that we probably all read in high school, mm-hmm. where the elites, the alphas, were able to use this drug Soma, Soma. to mm-hmm. have these experiences. And of course, Aldous Huxley was a big advocate of uh, LSD and did a lot of research, personal research with it. And that's where Soma kind of came from. Um, but that was a, that was a really stratified society where all only the elites got to use the drug and, and the, the, the epsilons who were doing all the hard work, you know, didn't. So we got to We got to look out for that type of uh, stratification when we bring in these uh, high, high power technologies. So I'm ter- I'm a little terrified about uh, smart drugs mm-hmm. and, and about any kind of cutting edge science that can have such enormous change upon us. And um, I would I would probably be the guinea pig. I would and then maybe suggest them to uh, my wife and kids and that sort of thing. But um, it's 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 scary to me. It really is because um, I just got done with reading Survival of the Sickest, which is a, a really really entertaining book on evolution and how we may have been changed, um, well, well, how we have been changed through illness and how our genome has changed over time. And there's some fascinating research in there that's kind of turned um, some things upside down for me because one of my favorite punching bags, uh, God rest his soul, um, uh, <laughs> is, is Stephen Jay Gould, the, the high priest of evolution and so much else in science. And uh, one of the things that I love to be able to do when we were uh, tossing around uh, ideas about evolution, and particularly my notions of a theistic evolution, was um, that I used to be able, I had this little speech, this well-rehearsed speech that would not go well, even if the uh, audience was relatively intoxicated, which should have led me (laughs) to understand something. But it was essentially, it had a punchline at the end that you have to have more faith to believe in punctuated equilibrium than you do the virgin birth. (laughs) And, and, you know, punctuated equilibrium, we, we expected the theory of evolution to show epochal change, very, very slow change, and what the, the fossil record shows is sometimes there's really fast change. Mm-hmm. And I use that as a way to punch mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Gould. But the, the book Survival of the Sickest talks a little bit about transposons and jumping genes and, and that there might be a way that this blueprint in our body is changing mm-hmm. and can change in a lifetime, can change maybe real time. It's stunning wow. and interesting. Mm-hmm. And with smart drugs, some of these drugs are going to be targeted to do exactly mm-hmm. that. And we just know they have to be to, to achieve some of the right. things the smart drugs want and need mm-hmm. to do. Mm-hmm. And that's terrifying to me. I mean, it's mm-hmm. certainly a Frankensteinian sort of mm-hmm. idea mm-hmm. and perhaps even more so a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde sort of idea where you cure the disease but create a new disease or a new monster that you right. do not know how to cure or control. So in retrospect, yeah. I really think that children, my children should be the first to try this. <laughs> <laughs> and I would like to take you up on that offer if you are in fact volunteering them or yourself to be somebody who takes these and uh, some something of a guinea pig and to report back to us anecdotally. I'd like to hear those stories about your experiences. So thank you for that. I, I wanted to say, speaking of Stephen Jay Gould and yes. speaking as a student of physics and a student of Buddhism, that I like my magisteria overlapping. Wow. <laughs> wow. Yes. The famous, the famous quote being uh, Stephen Jay Gould saying, religion and science are non-overlapping magisteria. So for we're readers ske- who weren't familiar yeah. with that reference. We're skewing radically geeky. We are. Uh, we are. And, and I, I missed an yeah. opportunity. I, I saw a little uh, there hint from you. Yes. I, I, yes. I, I did miss the toad sweat joke yeah. opportunity. Yeah. I was a little disappointed I'm, that I'm you a, didn't pick up on that. I'm all jacked up on kombucha. <laughs> <laughs> it's my first kombucha experience. Right. Oh, and I'm not yeah. sure it should have been. 
been yeah. not sure it should have been uh, my podcasting. I right. might have been able to do this in the privacy of my own home. Right. Hey, let's move on. Yes, in the spirit of bringing things down to earth a little bit more, we have a somewhat recurring segment uh, this week in celebrity death. Death of the week. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we need a little cue music for that. Fidel Castro died recently. For some, he was little more than an autocratic dictator. For others, he was a symbol of resistance to perceived American imperialism. Reflect upon this if you would, my friends. Jeff, why don't you go first? Tell us about your feelings about Fidel. Well, um, you know, I think that um, if anything, Fidel was a bit of an overachiever, um, and uh, and it's probably about the best I can say for him. You know, my reflections are that even even the most crazy tyrant or despot has got to be building some schools and hospitals and making the trains run on time, and he did some of that. Um, although, you know, the, it's funny how they live in this weird retro world where cars are like from the 1950s and that sort of thing, which I don't think is endearing. I think it was indicia of that things were a mess there. Um, and I think that he, if, if you look online, there are some articles that show him as composed to some of the, the, the great, uh, and I mean great in, in, in a different way, um, despots and tyrants of history, let alone modern history. And so I don't celebrate that. The, the Onion had a spectacular picture that showed um, a smashed uh, grand piano feet away from the casket in the funeral procession <laughs> for uh, Castro that said that CIA, you know, missed his final chance to, <laughs> to, to stick it to Fidel Castro. And, and perhaps that's one of the, that's perhaps that's one of the only things that um, we, uh, our glorious republic can't seem to do very well, and that is just to assassinate uh, tyrants and despots. Uh, but, you know, I think that there was, uh, there was an interesting uh, theme where people were trying to say some very, very nice things. And, and I, I challenge, you know, Know this idea that that somehow we were the great imperialist uh, 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 dynasty that 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 needed to be fought. I, I would I would challenge people historically to find a more restrained superpower throughout history. But nevertheless, the fact of the matter is is that I, I don't think, uh, uh, despite doing some good things like all super bad guys do for X community and country, um, I don't think we'll mourn him, and I don't think he necessarily makes the Mount Rushmore of modern tyrants. But he's probably in. That conversation. Mm. <laughs> that is it. Well, I'm going to dodge the hot potato of modern imperialism <laughs> that you tossed at me, Jeff, and I think fundamentally agree with your with your critique of him as a hero, and maybe maybe with all autocrats or even all political leaders as heroes. Our, our heroes these days are, I think, sadly to me, a little way they're kind of engineers and tech geeks. You guys see The Martian, the movie with Matt oh, yeah. Damon, big movie. Maybe you liked it. A lot of people liked it. Archetypal engineer as hero, the guy who tinkers, who figures figures out how to turn the screws the right way, grow the grow the plants in the sub-zero degree weather. Mix the crap. Yeah. Makes, makes the crap, turns it in. What, what, what do you do with the crap? He turned it into potatoes. He used it to fertilize the soil. Turns the, the, the book, crap into potatoes. The book is even more super nerdy. Yeah. It, was, it was interesting. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting. And those are our heroes now. It's the guys and usually the guys and sometimes the women who kind of figure stuff out and tinker themselves to success and to survival many times. But... Previous ages, it was the political leader who often sort of captured the aspirations of the heroic quest. And I think the age of the idealistic political hero is over. Whoa. And that's probably a good thing. 
Uh, I actually think that all idealism is a form of violence. Um, and utopian thinking, as certainly Castro and the communist movement was, moves inevitably towards totalitarianism. Viva la revolucion! <laughs> no, maybe not. Um, alas, there's no more heroes in the political sphere. For the political sphere will drag all good women and men down to its current level of playground animosity. Children tussling over who gets the bigger bucket while bullies kick down sand castles behind them gleefully gloating over their powers of destructions while the adults look on outside the sandbox aghast. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> we have a little carryover from last week when you were reflecting on some political leaders. Dr. Zen uh, had opportunity to bring up Silvio Berlusconi and our president-to-be, uh, Mr. Trump, as well. And now making a connection a little bit here to Fidel as well, just in terms of your lack of regard for some of these guys. Children so. in the sandbox with <laughs> right. many cameras right. pointed at them. Right. So be it. Hey, let us move on to an even more trivial in some ways, but entertaining, hopefully, topic. This is, of course... TV comedy geared towards millennials. <laughs> That's going to be the topic we're going to touch upon. It's a topic that we are singularly and woefully unprepared to discuss, <laughs> but that's not going to stop us. I'm curious to get your guys' thoughts. Uh, there's, there's, And we're going to use two uh, f- fairly popular uh, comedies now, probably for different reasons, um, as our touch points. The Big Bang Theory is one. Search Party is the other. So, uh, one, The Big Bang Theory is a standard laugh-tracked three-camera sitcom featuring nerds no laugh. It's a ratings monster. Uh, And the other, Search Party, is a quirky, binge-friendly, dark comedy featuring a Bluth cousin, um, played by Alia Shawcat, um, from Arrested Development. I'd like you to pick one and tell me why. Well, I'm going to give a strong vote for Search Party. Mm -hmm. I find it difficult to make it through an entire episode of Big Bang Theory. But Search Party is a strangely dark comedy. I think it pokes great fun at the self-absorption of millennials, and it does it in a very insightful and a very kind of creepy way. (laughs) These people aren't heroic. They're sort of a little sticky and icky and very kind of realistic in a way, and like their ids are very much on display, but very funny. I think Alia Shawkat does great. So strong vote for for for, uh, for for search party, I will go on record as saying I will vote for a laugh track show only when the same instant false approval is available to me in real life. <laughs> I said that, and I was going to say, I, well, and, and now I now I hesitate to say that the day I get that, I will kill myself the next day. Oh, oh my God, very bleak. It takes a little energy. It does. Yeah. Laugh track gag yeah. you, and I just came up with okay. Oh me? What do you think? Yeah. Uh, well, so think? I was. I mean, I, you turned me on to Search Party, and mm-hmm. I think that um, Doctor Zen Ray turned you on to Search Party yes, too, he did. right? He did. And and the thing about it is that you know so many of these uh, podcast segments, I start out with saying I really don't get it. Um, I you know I don't even. It's kind of putatively a comedy. I'm not sure it is a comedy, right. but it's. Uh, but there there's something that's um, interesting and charming about it. And the the lead character, what was her name? Uh, Dory is her name and Alia Shawkat is the uh, actress who and, and I love how you know bringing the freckles back to television yeah, there's not yeah, a lot of that going on sure. and she has this lovely way about her and I believe that she becomes just prettier and lovelier I don't mean prettier you know but just mm-hmm. a, more attractive mm-hmm. uh, the longer you watch her mm-hmm. it's just an interesting thing and she becomes more interesting and, and more um, worthy of, uh, of of kind of our our, our, our 
our energy and all of that sort of thing, whereas the rest of them, it's just a mess. It's a disaster. And, and Big Bang Theory. So my wife and I just went on our first cruise. And the biggest event, I think by far the biggest event, was we stumbled upon a giant, raucous, um, Justin Bieber concert-like event where it was a it was a Big Bang Theory trivia contest wow. where I felt like I was in another country. I didn't know any answers. I didn't know any names. I didn't mm-hmm. know anything. And people were freaking out, loving it, having a great time. And to me, you know, it's it's every great, every interesting show has to have some conceit mm-hmm. to it where it, this can never happen and, and it, it, it adds some tension. And I and I certainly think Kaylee and I think it's Cuomo or Cuoco. Cuoco, something like that. Yeah. She's lovely. Mm-hmm. And, and has a certain uh, sexual energy that she brings to the show mm-hmm. with a bunch of geeky boys that she would never in real life ever, 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 right. ever have anything to do with. And that energy and that fantasy is something that I think is compelling and yeah. she's lovely. And, you know, Jim Parsons is just so far out on the autism spectrum or whatever it is right. that it's a little hard for me to watch. But it's, I'm a super uh, comic geek. I'm uh-huh. a nerd. Yep. I'm all those sorts of things. So I find it compelling in a way, but never have been able to really watch a whole show. Mm-hmm. And, and search party makes me uncomfortable in a way that's a, a little hard for me to watch it too. So gun, right. to, my, gun to my head, gun I'm voting uh, <laughs> yeah. Big Bang Theory. Going to Big Bang Theory and over here sounds like search party. Search party. All right, great to get that. Let's move on. Sports will be our final topic of the cast. While mainstream sports are all either wrapped for the year or in mid-flight, we have a rare moment here where soccer gets top billing. Give me your thoughts, guys, on the removal of Jurgen Klinsmann as the national team coach. And your predictions for the MLS Cup, which is being held tonight, contested between Seattle and Toronto. So, um, you know, Klinsman, uh, anybody who loses in, in the, in, with the United States men's national team uh, in Costa Rica to Costa Rica deserves to be fired. <laughs> now, that's just a little geeky soccer joke because we always get killed there. But it, I think it was the literally straw that broke the camels. Well, I get figured it was straw that broke the camels. Back. <laughs> um, and, uh, and, and, um, and I was really troubled by the way, very troubled by the way he handled, handled Landon Donovan. I'm a big Klinsman fan. I grew up on Soccer Made in Germany on PBS. Oh, yeah. I didn't even know we had a men's national team when I was growing up. I was watching English soccer and then the Bundesliga. And so Klinsman um, and Beckenbauer and everybody were, were uh, heroes to me. And, and, uh, and I was super excited about what Klinsman did, which by the way, I think he won a higher percentage than any other women's national uh, team. Um, someone who headed up our national team ever, but he, he never quite clicked or fit in a way, and I think that it was eventually his undoing. I'm excited about Arenas and hopeful. Um, I, you know, I was really thinking this was the Colorado Rapids year as far as MLS. Mm-hmm. We were yeah. very strong, and uh, Seattle um, uh, just really, I think, per- performed admirably and deserved to win, and they're moving on. I'm very excited to see kind of the eruption of, um, of Josie Altador, and so I guess I'm picking um, uh, Toronto. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're watching some very exciting soccer and talking about it, which we've not done a lot of that <laughs> with the words MLS attached to it in America. Mm, so that's very good. true. Very true. Right on. Yeah. Right on. We're all kind of soccer geeks, so like we're really get, <laughs> getting into this and uh, and gonna enjoy the game tonight. Um, by the way, I just remembered that I have not gotten credit that's right, for right. my pick, the Cubs in seven, right, that's back right. after they had gone down two oh, games to one true. hello. It's true. Yeah, we <laughs> never gave props for that. So I don't know if we owe you a pound of flesh or a beer at I'll, the bar, but I'll take, I'll, I think I'll take we owe just you a very shaky soapbox for the next few things that I have to nice. say. A little, you got little extra authority <laughs> to say that I I am a fan of Klinsman. I was a fan of Klinsman, but I do think it's time for him.
game to go. He brought he did what he did his job. He brought the game to the next level. He brought the U.S. team to the next level. It was mostly a. Uh, an offensively oriented game. He brought a discipline to the team. He brought a creativity to the team that he showed on the German team when he was a player. But he's never been a defensive oriented coach. He's never been even that disciplined a coach, which is ironic considering the German system (laughs) is very disciplined. But he did his job and I think the team had kind of lost him and and I think um, the, the team needed to move into an evolutionary new style in order to take the next level. And now was the time. It wasn't the game in Costa Rica that caused it. It was the loss to Mexico in Columbus, Ohio, that really was the, was the was the nail in the coffin, I think. But I'm a fan of his. I'm a fan of uh, I'm a fan of the Colorado Rapids, as you guys are too. And unfortunately, those guys fell to Seattle, who's now gone on to the championship game. So looking ahead to that, which is tonight, um, I love what's happened in Seattle. The fan base is just amazing. They come into the come into the league a few years ago, and they bring that kind of passion. So I'm supporting them. Our dad raised us to, you always root for the team that beat your team, you know, to go all the way. Because then you can oh. say, well, we, you know, we were second. We were as, as good as all but the best. And um, I'm going to root for them for partially for that reason as well. Although I got to say, I do like um, what's happening on Toronto with Altidore, but also Giovinco, the little Italian guy who's a great player as well. I'm just going to chime in. Uh, I, I predict Toronto as well. I do love Giovinco and what Altidore are doing. I thought the semifinal with Montreal was fantastic. Uh, maybe not fantastic soccer, but great theater. And it was uh, something that MLS needs. So at, at the risk of stepping on a landmine that we've stepped in before, I'm going to align with Jeff, as I did on the World <laughs> Series prediction. We both went with Cleveland in six or seven. I can't yeah. remember now, yeah. which I think now is a guarantee to all of our listeners yeah. that uh, Seattle, Seattle probably win? will win tonight. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> you heard it here first. Seattle in seven. <laughs> Good. Closing thoughts from Jeffrey Lawrence. Yeah, let's get some closing thoughts. It's interesting that you say chime in when we're hearing these lovely Zen-like wind chimes from the snow being blown about us and everything. It's very Dr. Zen this episode. I I know. It's weird how how those wind chimes outside the window actually. Very Zen-like. So a couple of things. Uh, You know how – I know how hungry you guys are to invest in Jeffrey Lawrence Whedon Incorporated uh, in all of my business ideas. And I've got another great one that I think you'll want to drop a a, a tremendous amount of money into. I'm developing developing an application that uh, helps people select um, the product. Proper urinals so that you are spaced out from each other so that there's because wow. there's always some dude who comes in and, and stands right next to you in a room full of empty urinals mm-hmm. Party or uh, yeah. and, and it, it's extensible though it's not just that because like mm-hmm. you go to the gym you're on a treadmill you space each other out what's yeah. the proper way to do it there are al- algorithms the the plane companies have them as far as how many people you can put on a plane and no one is sitting next directly next to someone mm-hmm. so I'm going to leverage all that I mm-hmm. think you guys will want to jump on that opportunity and can- I don't think there's anything weird at all about holding your smartphone in front of you to develop the right algorithm when you're approaching a urinal I feel that <laughs> <laughs> well as nutty and gr- well I, first off let me say yes I'm pulling two bucks out of my wallet right now <laughs> handing it over and I do want to invest mm. now yeah, the seed seed round's a little bigger than that. Yeah, okay. We'll talk I don't, after. I don't get 50% of Let's the Let's talk company. online. Let's yeah. talk online. Offline. You, know, you, you Offline. were self-deprecating, and it is a somewhat crazy idea, this personal space protector. But I, I'm here to say that technologically, it's absolutely doable if everybody were running that app. With the yeah. geo-awareness, it absolutely would be able to send a little beep, 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 or a little vibration to you. <laughs> 
Both, I'm, I'm, both parties in the event that personal space is being impinged upon. So I'm, I'm, I'm here to say that this is technically doable, and I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm envisioning this. this kind of subsonic keening that's coming out of everybody's phones. Exactly. And exactly. we're all moving through yeah. airports with yeah. our hands yeah. clutched yeah. over our so, ears. So the thing is, it's not, it's not a technical issue, but it is an adoption problem. So getting everybody to download yeah. the app is going to be a little bit of an well, issue. But, but it might be nice because yeah. you might not need everybody because yeah. maybe I can just give a little spark, a little, a little taze, yeah. mini taze. Yeah. To the dude next to you, yeah, and he's you know he's ready to do it, and yeah, and, yeah. and it's like that. I'm jump not sure over. how to implement. The, uh, the, the, we'll talk about okay. it offline. Well, that, we don't we'll, have to do it all yeah. here. I'm just That's right. getting That's right. out. And the yeah. last thing I wanted to share with you is this: uh, I have I have a disease, Jim. Oh, um, and just I did, the one. I didn't know I had it. I thought, I thought you, you know, became bug free over the weekend. This is kind of my thing I'm doing right now, yeah. Ray. Okay? okay, could you just I'm step sorry. off for a second? <laughs> um, and I didn't even necessarily know. I certainly didn't have a word for it. But uh, we had to go outside of the English language to find a word for it. And I'm not sure I'm saying it right. I'm sure Doctor Zen will help me here. But I believe it zandoku, which is <laughs> the acquiring of reading materials followed by letting them pile up and subsequently never reading them, which is a remark I resemble. Now, for reasons, so remember Hoarders, the the, the yeah, TV show Hoarders? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's always somebody who's like their cats are decaying underneath piles and piles of stuff that you have to essentially bulldoze the house. And I'd always look at it with some disdain and some disgust. I'm so much above that until there was an episode where there was a guy who had books stacked everywhere and Uh newspapers that he had set aside and articles that Mm -hmm. he was supposedly going to write about and this and that, which struck me to my very core. And so (laughs) I wanted to, we oftentimes talk about what we're reading, what we're really excited about. Uh, I listened to uh, River Runs Through It this week, had a good time with that. Um, Lovely book about father and sons in some ways. And then then Survival of the Sickest, which I thought was Mm -hmm. really, really cool and interesting. I loved the the transposons and the jumping genes that was kind of transformational mm. for me to see and hear. What is uh, mm-hmm. on your nightstand, and do you uh, do you have any zandoku like <laughs> tendencies? I love the samurai delivery of zandoku. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't suffer from zandoku, oh. and, and the thirty books by my bed are. <laughs> Giving the lie to that, but you okay. won't you won't be able to see that. I buy books and I don't read them, or I take a long time to read them, right. like you. And I, I do it not for social capital. I think maybe I'm telling maybe that's a lie that I'm telling myself. <laughs> but uh, I they, they typically do end up by my bedside, and I do it because I just like to buy them. And like that first half hour where you have it and you take it home and you read the back cover and maybe the first few pages, there's a whole little doorway into another world. And then I'm like, do I want to go through that doorway and spend a, a day or a week or a month in that land, maybe not. I've got another doorway to go to. So yeah, um, I've got it. And recently finished a book, which was was part of that because I got it seven or eight months ago, but really enjoyed it. Finally finished it called H's for Hawk by Helen McDonald. It ended up on a lot of the best of the year lists last year, 2015. Uh, a memoir by a British woman whose father dies and she uses her falconry skills. So she adopts a falcon and trains it as a way of coping with the loss of her father. And it's very intense. It's very poetic. It's very kind of dark in its own way, but also very bright. And I, I just absolutely loved it, recommended. But I also will say I'm happy to have finished it because it's got this, that brooding British, dark, centuries-old heaviness to it with little glimmers of light <laughs> that come through with druids being evoked and you know the kind of 
death pagan-ness. Well, so much for the, the Zen chimes out. I need some kombucha. <laughs> 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 but it's really great. I, I, I recommend it. But Ray? I, I, I think that we are probably, all readers are on on the Sondoku spectrum to some degree or <laughs> another. Spectrum-y. We're spectrum and I am not immune. So, clear, so yes, I am susceptible to the uh, aggregation of reading materials in some form or another. The things on my bedside, um, Nicholas Carr's Utopia is Creepy. I highly recommend it. He has a blog called Rough Type. Um, he is a commentator on tech and its interaction with culture. Really, really good. Um, that's the book that I actually pick up and read. The one that is perhaps falls more into the Sundoku category because it's the